0: Hello, and welcome to the February 2020 Respiratory Care Podcast. Thanks for joining us. This month's Editor's Choice is an observational study of long-term mechanical insufflation-exufflation in subjects with neuromuscular disease. Chatwin and Simmons evaluated MIE use in 181 adults over a four-year time frame. They report that MIE devices were most commonly provided to subjects with a cough peak flow of less than 160 liters per minute. Median settings were notable for an insufflation pressure on average 10 centimeters of water pressure lower than the exsufflation pressure. The inspiratory flow was set to high in all subjects. Interestingly, subjects with a tracheostomy had the greatest adherence to treatment. Nearly all patients were also receiving ventilatory support and the mean duration of MIE use was 17 months. Branson and Bendit provide commentary on the science of MIE and the quest for optimum settings. The focus on cough peak flow we believe is misguided. The flow bias is the major determinant of secretion movement during MIE. The work by Volpe and co-authors showing that a flow bias of about minimum of 17 to as much as 30 liters per minute is important to mobilize secretions. Additionally, you have to consider the problems in patients with neuromuscular disease who also have bulbar invol- involvement where too high in pressure can be associated with collapse of the larynx as described by Anderson. Cerrone et al. evaluated the impact of speaking valves on ICU mobility in tracheostomized subjects. In a small cohort of subjects with a primary diagnosis of pneumonia, the PERM score was used to determine and evaluate mobility. Subjects had to be able to tolerate 30 minutes of speaking valve use to qualify for the trial. Subjects who tolerated speaking valve use had improved mobility compared to those who could not use a speaking valve. Roberts contributes an accompanying editorial detailing the strengths and weaknesses of this study. He notes selection bias and observes that mobility primarily includes up and into the chair. He also notes that many of the advantages of a speaking valve might be provided simply by increasing the PEEP. winn and colleagues evaluated physical exercise and CPAP in subjects after coronary revascularization in a randomized controlled trial. The control group started rehabilitation immediately post-operative with breathing exercises and passive mobilization, progressing to active exercise, ambulation, and stair training. The intervention group added exercises on a cycle ergometer combined with CPAP on the second to fourth post-operative day. While the sample size was limited, the CPAP cycle ergometry group had a shorter duration in the ICU. Lew et al. studied the stride-to-stride fluctuations during walking in subjects with COPD and non-COPD subjects. Subjects walked on a treadmill for three minutes while gait variability and movement patterns were qualified. The figures from this paper are pretty interesting, and you should take the chance to look at them. Control subjects had a more consistent organization of the hip and knee joint movement patterns compared to subjects with COPD. Control subjects also adapted to speed changes, whereas subjects with COPD did not. The author suggests that the reduced consistency in the organization of movement patterns may be a contributing factor in falls experienced by COPD patients. Sakai and others evaluated cough peak flow as an indicator of cough strength to determine if cough peak flow was associated with an aspiration risk in subjects with pneumonia. In a group of 82 subjects with community-acquired pneumonia, the authors studied cough peak flow and perform video endoscopic evaluation of swallowing and re- perform the repetitive saliva swallowing test. The cough peak flow for identifying an aspiration risk was less than 100 liters, 190 liters per minute. The authors suggest that cough peak flow is an indicator of aspiration risk when restarting food intake in elderly subjects. Breast sounds remained a mainstay of pulmonary assessment in the patient with lung disease. Munoz and colleagues evaluated the concordance for the discrimination of lung sound recordings in a group of experienced physiotherapists. Lung sound recordings were selected and validated by an expert panel and 11 recordings played for participant recognition. A group of 69 therapists with a median of four years of experience were included. Concordance between physiotherapists and discriminating lung sounds was moderate. Interestingly, ability to recognize Strider was inversely related to years of work experience. The use of high-flow nasal cannula for oxygen delivery has been a major change in ICU over the last decade. Tatsushishi compared high-flow nasal cannula to standard O2 therapy and randomized controlled trial of subjects following off-pump coronary artery bypass grafting. The primary endpoints were development of atelectasis, the total amount of oxygen administered, the duration of oxygen therapy, and the need for post-operative diuretic therapy. Using high-flow nasal cannula shortened the duration of oxygen therapy reduced the percentage loss of lung volume uh, measured by EIT and the finding of atelectasis, and the total amount of oxygen administered compared with standard oxygen therapy. Aldehair and others evaluated the perceptions of respiratory therapy administrators regarding effective teaching characteristics of clinical preceptors. The authors used a cross-sectional survey of administrators using a Likert scale covering the domains of professional competence, relationship with students, and personal attributes. Participants showed the most interest in the professional competence of clinical preceptors, followed by personal attributes and relationship with the students. The authors conclude that, the role, that role modeling and showing genuine interest in patients and their care were the most effective teaching characteristics of clinical preceptors. Dorace evaluated limb function in COPD subjects and a group of normal controls using the six-minute ring board test. Reduced upper limb strength and endurance in COPD subjects is a common finding. During the testing, subjects were assessed by electromyography, near-infrared spectroscopy, and gas analysis. They found that the six-minute ring board test was performed at a higher electrical activity in the accessory inspiratory muscles and a lower oxygenation profile in subjects with COPD. They conclude that ventilatory demand in COPD contributed to the poor performance. Villalba and others performed an observational cross-sectional study to define risk factors associated with reinstitution of mechanical ventilation in subjects weaned from prolonged mechanical ventilation. All patients had received a tracheostomy and were followed for 28 days. The most common reasons for reinstitution of ventilatory support were new sepsis and a neurologic comorbidity. I think these are important issues. We consider prolonged mechanical ventilation to be somebody on a ventilator for more than 21 days. And the studies have not been consistent in finding out after this period of time, once these patients are discontinued from the ventilator, how frequently do they return and require ventilatory support? Vaz Grosso et al. evaluated the FEV1 as a standalone predictor for death in subjects older than 65 years of age. In a group of over 4,000 subjects, they found that in older subjects, the proportion of deaths attributed to a reduced FEV1 is best set stratified by z-score straight staging thresholds as these yielded similar relative risks of death but at more age and sex appropriate prevalence of fev1 stage lee and others evaluated aerosol therapy during high frequency interruption in an adult model they compared jet and mesh nebulizers at different positions in the circuit during high frequency gas delivery the dose of aerosol was infinitesimally small less than or equal to about two percent The mesh nebulizer resulted in improved aerosol delivery. These results give further caution to the utility of high-frequency oscillation or percussion as there is little evidence base for its use and aerosol delivery is significantly compromised. Hay provides a systematic review of the signs and symptoms of asthma. They include 67 studies, including over 57,000 subjects. Asthma severity was dependent on several symptoms consisting primarily of wheezing, breathlessness, chest tightness, and cough. They suggest that a combination of symptoms to be included in a diagnostic-based questionnaire to aid in early diagnosis. Turcos provides an update on cystic fibrosis. This review focuses on lung pathology and summarizes new developments on the diagnostic approach of cystic fibrosis. Current therapeutic modalities, novel therapies targeting the basic genetic defect and lung transplantation, transplantation are also reviewed. We appreciate your continuing to listen to the Restory Care Podcast and look forward to our podcast for next month. Thank you. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.